Welcome to Head Over Feels, the podcast where we discuss matters of the heart while also using our heads, blending emotional awareness with intellectual relationship skills. We promise raw, real, and sometimes ridiculous advice on love, sex, and relationships. I'm Megan Sundra. And I'm Fernando DV. We're here to tag team you with juicy insights, tantalizing tools, and sometimes embarrassing anecdotes in order to help you have the best love life ever. On this week's episode, we'll be talking about an affectionless marriage, accepting favors, getting over betrayal, and nonviolent communication. Mm-hmm. Fernando, I am so excited about this. Yeah, NVC is such a big topic, and admittedly, uh, we're not going to cover it all. <laughs> nope. <laughs> we're just going to touch as much as we can that um, we can cram into this episode because this is such a useful topic. And believe it or not, even amidst our shit talking, we do practice <laughs> a lot of NBC and a lot of whether it's outside of this space, especially with conflict resolution. Yeah. So NVC, <laughs> nonviolent communication, is a style of communication that can help you more authentically express yourself in a compassionate way. And it's particularly helpful in conflict, but it is also helpful in non-conflict situations when you just need to talk about what's going on for you and what you need. Uh, it's been immensely helpful to me. This is a concept and a book. We'll get to the book in the toolbox part mm-hmm. and some action items but it completely changed my life. I've read this book like three times. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about the concept just philosophically. Like, what is it? Yeah. So the philosophical concept is at NVC is uh, it's described as a, the language of life or a language of life that helps us transform old patterns of defensiveness and aggressiveness into compassion, empathy, and improve the quality of our relationships. Mm-hmm. So it's the, there's two like main parts of and of nonviolent communication, and that's empathy and honesty. Mm-hmm. The empathy, so that we can, it goes beyond compassion, allows us to put ourselves in another person's shoes, so we can get the sense of what they're feeling and understand their needs. So it's a way for us to be open and available to what's going on for someone else. If we don't have empathy for another person, it's hard for us to really connect to their experience, to really understand them, and to actually make progress a lot of times when we're in conflict. And then the honesty portion speaks for itself. It's being able to be understanding with ourselves and our own needs and being able to tune into that in the present moment and to communicate that effectively or as best as we can to another person. Because to be quite frank, uh, speaking honestly from the hearts and what we're feeling can be can be and is very difficult <laughs> yeah it's such a raw thing to do and i think we're all brought up in a culture where self-expression is a sort of unfiltered you know not really conscientious process where we just say this thing that i'm feeling and we often hurl it along with accusations and judgments and assumptions at someone else and it turns out that is more of a haphazard, disorganized, ineffective, and according to this definition, violent method of communication. I don't know many people who were raised in a, a culture or a family or a community where nonviolent communication was the norm or that mm-hmm. they were taught this at a young age. But I think it would benefit us all to learn it regardless of what age we're at and then try to teach the people involved in our lives at least where we're coming from. They don't have to do it too, but it can benefit them too. So just like it's a new tool for your toolbox. It's a great new way to 
address interpersonal interactions in a, in a whole different lens, a whole different angle. Yeah. I think especially if you're not used to putting yourself in another person's experience and really listening, this is such a useful tool and it takes practice, but you will, by using it, you'll see it, it helps, it can really help diffuse situations and mm-hmm. you can start addressing the problem rather than the person yes. because then we start really getting to the root of the issue instead of sitting here and using um, violent communication, which is quite the opposite, you know, which looks like mm-hmm. insulting someone else. So when you say stuff like, oh, honey, that was dumb, you know, we're saying stuff that's <laughs> kind of like downplaying. Like, So yeah, it, contextually, it may seem like, oh, you're just being playful, but you know, that shit can hurt. That can be that kind of, kind of like down talking to someone that you love mm-hmm. may produce this like chasm of connection from the between you and the other person because they may no longer feel safe to be expressed because instead of hearing them asking questions and understanding this you know what they're experiencing you're just making them wrong for it right and i think the term nonviolent communication raises the question well what is violent communication right <laughs> cuz like most of us don't think of ourselves as violent people so what would violent communication even apply to us? And I think looking at the definition of violent communication, um, it would be when you speak or listen in a form in, of conversation um, that is more like accusation-based or judgment-based mm-hmm. rather than just speaking from your own self, your own personal experiences. That doesn't even, it's not even about the other person and their actions. So typical examples would include insulting, putting people down, labeling, criticizing, diagnosing, or just, you know, framing the situation as someone else being wrong. And some of those are totally obvious and intuitive. Like, yeah, don't insult people. That's mean. Right? <laughs> um, but nonviolent communication, I think, is it works on a subtler level. So for example, if I said something like, um, you make me feel angry when you blah, blah, blah. The way that I phrased that is implicitly an accusation because mm-hmm. it implies that that person made me feel something because of what they did. But no one can make you feel anything. Mm. They can definitely yes. do things that create a situation or, or a context or an environment in which you're more likely to become angry. But it's your own needs or your own story that is what made you angry. So for example, um, a great example that I love because I am one of the least punctual people I know. I'll come right out and admit it. <laughs> I've been working on it my whole life, not making a lot of progress. So if I am late to visit my boyfriend and if he's upset about it, he may phrase his expression of his upset at me in a way that's like, I'm upset that you're late. Like you cause stress in my life or I'm more hungry because I delayed eating, you know, whatever it is. But what if on a different day I'm late and his call with his students, because he tutors online, if his call was running over and he was still really engaged in helping the student and I was late to show up to his house for like a, a hangout or a date, then he may not be mad in that situation because it was actually useful that I didn't come in the middle of his session with somebody. It was actually an advantage that he had time to give appropriate attention to his student. And therefore, it was not a bother to him that day that I was late. So is the wrong thing my lateness or is the thing? the thing that upset him, his need not getting met in that certain context. Mm. So that's what we're about to talk about is more like the need in the situation rather than the act itself 
being like the wrong thing or the trigger thing. So for him to say in violent communication is the whole, like, I hate when you're late, you're so careless, you don't respect my time, you know, you, you know, like messed up my whole schedule for the day. But a nonviolent way to express that would be, you know, I have a need for predictability about my day and a need to follow my schedule, or I have a need to see that our agreement is kept, like that we follow through with our promises to each other. And your being late made me, made that like not, that need not be fulfilled in my life. And therefore my feelings are X, Y, and Z, frustration, anger, Mm -hmm. upset. So yes, my actions were part of that need not getting met, but I didn't make him feel that way. And when he phrases at me in a non-accusational way, then I'm so much more likely to be like, oh, I'm so sorry, babe. Like, how can we arrange this better? You know, how can I try harder? How can we communicate this more effectively so that I am either not late or I can be late, but it doesn't affect you perhaps. So it it invites somebody to the table to collaborate on a solution rather than accusing them and telling them like how wrong and bad of a person they are for what they did. Mm -hmm. It's a lot of blamey language whenever, you know, that you did this. And there's a saying about uh, that someone told me where when you point your finger at someone else, you have three pointing right back at you. Uh And so whenever you're dealing with something, it's and that's where um, this like model with NVC and we will go from examples so that you can have some ways to kind of pra- try this on. Yeah. But um, it's about I statements. What is your needs? What are your experience? You know, it's like when this happens, I feel this. This mm-hmm. is my need. And so I think we've given some examples of uh, in the past for if someone did something really shitty in their relationship and you're like. We can't say, well, if you fuck that person, then I'm fucking leaving. It's more like, well, all right, you have a choice to make to this thing. And if if you choose to do that, that's fine. I'm going to choose to leave this relationship. Right. There's a. It's almost like a very different one is blaming and you're like accusational. Mm-hmm. You're kind of, in a sense, it's like a power. Um, you're giving away your power in that moment because the other person is the one who's like charging you. And you're just mm-hmm. like, you're kind of like, it's like the cat following the laser pointer. You're just like, ah, 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 you know, yeah. side to side. Like uh, reactive, powerlessly yeah. jumping from one thing to another. Yeah. Yeah. But then if you're the one saying, well, you can make a choice. You're an adult. And if you choose this thing, then I will choose this. That comes from a place of like, I know what my needs are. I know what does and doesn't work for me and if you're if this is something you want to do that isn't incongruent with what i need then this is my choice and that comes from a place of yeah i i am not going to sit here and be drug around by someone else's decisions it's like i'm making it mm-hmm. a very firm choice based on my needs and hey self-care so yeah absolutely there's some great boundary work in that example too mm-hmm. very nice so as a concept, this is something that, like Fernando said, definitely takes practice. It's worth, you know, jotting down the general framework of it, whether you want to like Google this and see the way that other people present the framework or take notes from the book or whatever. But we're going to go through like the step-by-step actions on how to actually do NVC in a conversation later this episode. But even if you have to like jot it down on a note card or a sticky note and like put it somewhere in your house so that you see it frequently and you're reminded of at the very least, start from I statements and try not to blame. That is like maybe yeah. the most foundational summary we can give you because there's so many ways that this can apply in different contexts and it will take awareness and mindfulness to see, oh, that's a situation where I could use NVC or like, wow, that conversation went so poorly because neither of us used NVC. Mm-hmm. So 
it takes repetition. Be patient, but just keep trying, you know? Yeah. And the other thing, too, is that this is this practice, uh, you know, if you're a more logical minded person and you need like a structure, mm. sometimes I lean to that because I work a lot in the computer world. So there's mm-hmm. I, in being able to tell and teach other people this, it's like, how do I break it down to like a very bare bone structure so that you yeah. can recreate that? And, you know, you might it may sound like you're kind of uh, monkeying the same thing, like, OK, I feel this or whatever. It's fine because you're trying to like ultimately you may have to understand for me, like I have to understand the structure so that I can kind of embody it and then it becomes natural. This may Absolutely. feel unnatural because we don't have lots of good examples. Like Meg said, most of, I don't know many people who grew up in this kind of household. It was mm-hmm. a lot of like blaming, you didn't clean dishes. I'm pissed because you didn't clean dishes or you didn't clean yeah. your room. And that, uh, so we've pretty much been reinforced <laughs> through our entire lives, violent communication or communication yeah. that is essentially blaming, accusational, non, and I would describe it as non-productive because I don't think that that kind of language, you know, has like a healthy end in sight. It mm-hmm. only like, it basically makes someone else small. There's a power shift. It's I'm a making, power play. Yeah, Absolutely. I'm making myself bigger to make you smaller. I'm the one who's dominating in the situation and I kind of, saying this in a way that I don't really care how the other person feels because I'm the one who's hurting. Fuck what mm-hmm. your thing says. You pissed me off. Yep. Mm. And that doesn't work. And, and so, and being as, as being one who's practiced it a lot and yeah, I fuck up still. I'm not perfect at it. We all do. But um, in practicing a lot more, it's like, I realize that I don't need to have, I don't need to have conflicts that result in degrading or insulting someone I love mm-hmm. or care about. It just doesn't, it's unnecessary. Absolutely. And we see this in like every movie, every sitcom. There's just examples of violent communication or like mindless communication, just sort of somebody reacting without thought or hurling accusations with disregard to how it makes the other person feel or with disregard or inattention to what it does to the relationship. Like, does this degrade us at our foundation? Does this rot the roots of the thing we've been trying to grow? Mm, And oftentimes it does. So yeah, super useful tool. And it'll, you know, it reminds me of when I was a kid, I think it was third grade. My elementary school had uh, a peace rug. (laughs) And if you had conflict with another student, the teacher could tell you like, go to the peace rug and you both have to go stand on the peace rug. And there was a sign next to it. This was so cute. So progressive at the time. There was a sign next to it that had steps you had to follow that was like vaguely NVC. And I kind of wonder if whoever made that had some NVC background, because this stuff has been around for a few decades. Um, the author who's most known for it uh, came out with this format f- several decades ago. I want to say like the 70s, 80s. Oh, I didn't realize that a while ago. I think yeah. so. Yeah, there's some really old videos on YouTube if you want to look up like him doing live interactions with um, people doing practices. So practice conversations. So one of the things on the list of how to have your peace rug conversa- conversation was Uh, use I statements. And so they had a little format, like I feel blank when you blank because blank. And then like another part was like, I would like you to blank, like the request for action to remedy this. Mm -hmm. So this has the like bare bones structure of NVC to it, stating a need, stating your feelings, stating the action that affected or caused the feelings. There's still a little bit like you did this. And so now I feel this type accusation going on mm-hmm. underneath that framework. But at least it, it's the general format. I fucking love that they you had a peace rug. I kind of want to have cute? if I had a big enough space, I'd have a rug. And like, <laughs> that's so great. Here's your peace corner. 
if we're upset, let's go over there. And totally. And, <laughs> yeah. It's so great. Yeah. I think we could all benefit from something like that. Yeah. Um, I had an ex who was trying to introduce this stuff to me. Um, shout out to Jordan. <laughs> Just kidding. He's probably not listening, but, um, <laughs> He was introducing like a, a sort of NVC framework to me a long time ago during the conflicts of our relationship a few years back. And I had no idea what the hell he was doing. And he had never heard of NVC or the book or the author or anything, but it was just how he was raised. And he kept referring to a field. He's like, we're on different sides of a field. We both need to come together into the field and have a conversation and like meet there. And he was like describing this imaginary peace rug. And then he would sort of try to talk through the stages of like, this is how I feel and here's where I'm coming from. And like one person needs to just address their shit before we can turn it onto the other person and be like, what's your experience? Let's heal the wound that you're feeling. And like Mm. one at a time, instead of volleying to like, oh yeah, well you feel that well, I feel this and I'm more hurt or I was Mm. wronged worse or whatever that type of communication. Um, And that just turns it into a competition. You're not trying to solve the problem anymore. It's like, who's more hurt? Who's more righteously angry? Right. And we're not, you're not going to get anywhere quantifying who's more hurt or who's suffering is more than the other person. Yeah. Totally. So we're going to, we're going to get to our questions, but we'll go into some examples. Um, And I don't think we even mentioned it, but the book is by Marshall Rosenberg and we'll repeat it again. We'll include a link for you to get, um, to get it on Amazon or wherever you want to get it. If you don't want to support Jeff Bezos. <laughs> well, if you buy through our links on our website, actually, then you're doing us a favor because they're affiliate links. So please do buy your books um, through our website or sign up through our Audible. I think we've got information yeah. elsewhere in this episode about that. If you'd rather listen to it than read. Help like us me. help you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. yeah. All right. So. Okay. Let's get into our questions. <laughs> <laughs> I'll read the first one if you want. <laughs> what are you laughing at? Because I was just shit talking our family. <laughs> like, oh right, that's yeah. true. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cut that. <laughs> you, I mean, you could leave. <laughs> it's very Stephen Colbert of you. Like yeah. he always like makes fun of his sponsors. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Letter number one is from Faith. Gotta have faith. <laughs> I thought I'd give this a try as I need advice. Oh, you came to the right place, Faith. Thank you. I've been married for about four years to my husband, Edward, and we have reached a dreaded stage of little to no physical touch, including kisses, hugs, and sex. It's even bad when we try to watch a movie together where he really pushes for us to be on separate couches. We have been together for about nine years total, and for a lot of that time, he was very affectionate But as the relationship went on, the affection slowly dwindled away and I felt distant from him. The last few years, I've grown tired of being pushed away from someone who isn't wanting to receive affection or give affection, and it feels like I'm the only one who desires closeness. Even when we hug, he will give some excuse to me to get him... Even when we hug, he will give some excuse to get me off of him. He only initiates contact when we want to when he wants to have sex, which happens maybe two to three times a year on a good year. Also, anytime I try to bring things up, regardless of what it is, he gets really dismissive and says I complain about everything. 
feeling unsure about the marriage and relationship I once had and whether this is time for me to move on or work harder to make it work. Oh, faith. faith. Oh, that is so heartbreaking. I can't even imagine being with someone for so long with that little affection. Like that is such a big love language for me that I think I would go insane. Yeah, I would have dumped his ass like a long been, time ago. <laughs> yeah, God. she's been putting up with this for a long time. And it sounds like it is wearing her down and making her feel sad and unwanted and that her needs don't matter, you know? Mm-hmm. that's. I mean, that's how I would read into all this. And she sounds very confused, too, which is totally understandable. She's not getting any explanation from him why this is happening. Yeah, and I, I think this is sadly a very common tale. Mm-hmm. I, I know in my high school and, and even early college years I had, or middle school, high school years, uh, going to friends' houses and seeing, uh, you know, my friend's parents interact. That, this is like depressingly common. Like I would see, so true. I would see like the father would refer to his man cave, you know, in quotes, uh, mm-hmm. safe from his wife. And it's like, why? The ball and chain. Yeah. It's like, like why? trying to get away from her. Why are you in such a relationship that like, I get having your own space, but why are you, in such a relationship that you can't even that you feel like you have to isolate so much from Mm -hmm. a person that you're married with that sounds fucking miserable and just seeing how like there was like either no affection or they're just kind of like that's nice but like kind of pushing them off yeah yeah it sounds like there's a lot of vulnerable conversations that need to happen here Mm -hmm. you know i'd first like start with asking how do you see each other Mm -hmm. how and, you know, asking him, like, how do you see me as a person? And just let him, like, speak vulnerably. And, and also, how do, you, how do you see him? Because if we're not, if we don't understand the lens we're working with, it's going to be hard to work to, like, snake our way out of sight of it. Right. So if he sees you as, I don't know, if he doesn't find, uh, feel close to you, or if he's just like, I don't know, whatever he feels about you, and mm-hmm. then in certain negative connotations here, then he may... That might help be helpful to understand, okay, well, why do you feel that way about me? Was it something you did? Was it, is something shifted? Is he, do you even want to be in the relationship anymore? Oh, yeah. Because I think, you know, I may have mentioned this in a previous episode, we, sometimes we forget, we don't check in to our relationships to see where we're at. And if we're not Mm -hmm. checking in, we're kind of on this train assuming, well, uh, we're the train's still running, so it should be fine, right? Everything's fine. Yeah. yeah no but, need to talk about any of it. <laughs> yeah, but like every train needs maintenance. We need to we need to have checkpoints. We need to have stops to make sure that everything is running. And so it sounds like maybe things have gotten way off the course and we need to we need to reel it in and find out, okay, like why is there so much distance between us, you know? Why are we so far, you know, distant from each other? Or is this something we want to still be invested in? Right. Because nine years is a long time to be with someone. Um, I have not been with someone that long, and therefore I can't speak from experience. But I've seen a lot of people who have been married for quite a while. And relationships go through a natural progression in and out of all kinds of different phases. There's sort of a cliche that, okay, you know, the honeymoon phase wears off, then there's a seven-year itch, and then it goes like this, and then you do this. But like, it's different for everybody. Mm-hmm. You guys could follow a totally different trajectory and it's not totally out of your hands. That's okay. You can have a talk about this and really change the course of how things are going between you. I think um, marriage counseling would help mm. Ooh, for sure. Yeah. yeah, like talk to somebody who is 
you know, well-versed in dealing with getting people out of a rut or lifting somebody's sex life out of a slump or really drilling down to what's going on because maybe it's decreased desire or decreased attraction for you, or maybe it's just, you know, insecurities he may have about his own body. He's aging. Maybe it's stress or some kind of mental distraction, or maybe he's not feeling emotionally connected to you. Maybe he's feeling pressured by your higher libido and he just wants to not deal with it. He doesn't feel equipped to deal with somebody who like wants sex more than he does. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's so many different approaches here. And the only way to know which approach is right is to find out what is the true root of the problem. Like what are his reasons? What are his feelings? Like Fernando said, yeah. like, how is he feeling about this and you? And it's not necessarily about you, but it does affect you. Mm-hmm. Right. So I would caution you not to take it so personally, like he's not into you anymore, he doesn't love you, or you're not sexy anymore, because that's a lot of extrapolation. You don't know if that's the case Mm -hmm. until you can really have an honest conversation with him. So it sort of becomes how to have that conversation at this point. Mm -hmm. You're willing, but he's not. He sounds like he's really turned you away, deflected, avoided. I think, you know, suggesting at first, like marriage counselors or relationship coaching or reading a book together, I would highly recommend Mating in Captivity by Esther mm. Perel. Oh, Another Esther Perel. incredible book. Uh. Uh, we love her so <laughs> <Yes>. much. <laughs> Uh, we'll cover that book in another episode, but uh, you can also find that on our website if you want to purchase it. So that can really help you look at the confines of monogamy and long-term relationships in a whole different light. And remind you that you do have more power in this and there are more levels and layers to your own sexuality that you may be ignoring and uh, not being able to access in your partner and how to do that. It was a beautiful book. So I think that could benefit you guys considering your situation. But I don't know. What would you say, Fernando, if he's unwilling to have these conversations with her? What's like the next level? Is it an ultimatum? Is it like really putting her foot down? (laughs) I think. Um, I think in the more, and the, I guess the more serious note, I think if he doesn't want the conversation, I think it comes down to like, okay, well, why do you not want to have the conversation? Mm-hmm. You know, I think uh, before I almost want to like side tangent, but I'll get to the side tangent in a second sure. under, I think just, okay, you don't want to talk about the relationship. Well, I want to understand why, because mm-hmm. why are we even doing this? Why are we living in a house together? Is it? it doesn't feel great to be in a relationship where we're just kind of like roommates who can't, you know, who can't even be comfortable around each other. Yeah. That's, that's gotta be the shittiest thing to do is, is to kind of like, cool. We've pretty much graduated from married in love to roommates who don't even like who are, who might on the very rare occasion be physical with each other. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's okay if that's what you both want. Right. You know, some people do transition naturally into a more companionate marriage, as it's called, or a more platonic life partner setup. But that's only if you both want it. And yes. you clearly do not. Yeah. So that's the, <laughs> the issue so. is it's it's not. Yeah. If both of you have talked about it and you're like, hey, this is where we're at and this mm-hmm. is what feels good. Um, sometimes some people do that. We're like, you know, we want to do this for the kids. And while we may not want to be a romantic relationship, we are still good friends. That's Absolutely. totally valid. Absolutely. Another possibility. But it sounds like this is. Uh, there's other stuff going on because I think yeah. we have to also call out his shitty behavior and, mm-hmm. you know, for him saying that you're not being um, 
when you're saying like you you're complain too yeah, much. Yeah, complain too much. It's like, okay, uh, well, how do you feel if I told you that you complain too much? Let's put the ball in your court. Like, it's kind of, it's a very dismissive, like, sh- I don't want to deal with it. So I'm just going to like push it off. Dismissive. Yeah. Absolutely. It's, it's invalidating of her needs. Yeah. It's being like, whatever you're feeling doesn't matter or isn't important to me to address. So like, yeah. just stop whining. Yeah. <laughs> and that's not going to go anywhere fast. Yeah. yeah. Mm-mm. So I'm about, I think when it comes down to like solutions, if he's not willing to talk, then it's like, okay, then maybe it's expressing like, what I want to have is a loving relationship and I miss having physical connection and just being able to really connect. And it feels like we've been disconnected. Is that something mm-hmm. that you want? You know, I know what I want. Are we, are you willing, are you in this with me or not? And if he's not, okay, you got your answer. Like, but I agree with Meg, like maybe maybe he does struggle. It sounds like he does struggle with like effective communication. And so having maybe a neutral third party who is detached from the results of this, you know, Mm -hmm. like a, like a, you know, marriage counselor would be great. So that way he might feel, maybe he doesn't feel like he's comfortable. We're only hearing one side too. So I don't know what his experience is. So there may be behaviors and stuff that he's receiving for you and interpreting a certain way and then responding from that interpretation. Mm-hmm. And so, so while we're only working, we want to support you in having a great relationship. We only are seeing, you know, half of it essentially. So, but I think if I were in that same position, I'd want to know, I want to be clear about this is what I want. These are my needs. And I want to know what the other person's needs are. Are they compatible? Are we going to be able to work on this together or has this train run its course? Is it time for us to, you know, just step off at this next stop and then let it be a clean passing from here? Mm-hmm. That's perfect, Fernando. Great advice. Yeah. Well, good luck, Faith. I know that this is a tough situation and it's hard not to take it personally. And even if it is personal, though, it can be dealt with. You are not alone. Many people have tried a similar path in their relationships, and there are many solutions in front of you. Um, It's not a binary, like black or white situation. You do have some options. I just hope that your husband can collaboratively look for solutions with you because it is a joint effort. And together, you guys can make something amazing, but it will take both of your participation fully. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. All right, let's go to letter number two. This is from Jenna, age 29. So I'm very pregnant, due in about a month. And as you can imagine, many tasks have become more difficult for me than usual. I'm still working at my nine to five day job as a secretary, which requires me to carry small loads occasionally, move about the office a lot, and meet with different people to coordinate logistics. My coworkers, as well as other random people who come into the office, often help often offer to help me with these tasks, like holding a door, carrying something for me, moving something out of the way, etc. I'm typically a very independent person, and I don't like accepting help from other people, especially for things that I can do myself easily enough. It's not that I'm worried about looking weak, it's that I don't want to inconvenience people. I don't believe they genuinely want to help. I think they're just offering to be nice but secretly they don't want to actually do the task if I accepted their offer. Mm. I live in the Midwest and I've seen this sort of thing a lot in my life. I really hate the thought of someone silently resenting me. And then I have to stand there awkwardly while they do the nice thing, feeling guilty. This doesn't happen 
just at work, but also at the grocery store, when visiting relatives, even at home sometimes. My husband is the type to be very immersed in what he's doing and doesn't offer to help me with something unless I ask. But when I do ask, he's very enthusiastic and happy to help. It's just that I don't like having to ask all the time, knowing I'm interrupting him constantly for silly, menial tasks. How do I navigate situations like these when they happen? I imagine they'll only be more frequent once the baby is born and I'll be juggling even more tasks. Thanks a bunch. Mm, Jenna. Thanks for writing in Jenna. Oh man, that is definitely a Midwest thing. <laughs> yep. God, the salty dog in me is like, well, if people can't, if people are going to silently resent you, fuck them for not being responsible and honest about what they feel. But, um, uh, that's not very uh, NVC of me, is it? <laughs> God. <laughs> <laughs> Calling my own shit out. Um, so Jenna, what comes to mind when I hear this, um, it isn't re- your responsibility to manage other people's feelings yes. that aren't being communicated. Hence my incredibly salty and pretty violent comment earlier. <laughs> mm. I mean, I come from the Midwest too. Yeah. I know this feeling. Yeah. Uh, that being said, I what I'm hearing in this, yeah, hearing in this situation is that there's just like a lot of assumption and maybe even like a view or perspective of yourself that you're a burden to others. Mm-hmm. I can see a fellow person who, res- who loathes themselves as one who sometimes does. <laughs> so, <laughs> and I think um, I have to ask, like, how do you relate to yourself? Because when I hear, you know, you worry about being a burden to other people and you have to hate asking that occurs to me as like, maybe there's a lack of self-worth or a self-respect. Like I don't deserve to have help or I don't, I can't take up space when I make a request, it bothers other people and we have to kind of people pleasing. Yeah. Yeah. And we have to trust that as hard as it could be sometimes that when someone says that they're wanting to help you, that we have to listen to that. Cause if we, if they tell us that, Hey, I do want to help you because I see that I want to support you. And then, so instead of hearing what they're saying, we're just like, oh no, they're, they're fucking lying to me. They're Mm -hmm. full of shit. Um, Mm -hmm. Then we're in our heads. We're no longer in reality. We're in our heads and we're no longer present to the moment. Now we're just stuck in this reality in our heads about what we think is actually happening. And that's a whole different lens. We put on different goggles and we're, we're detached. Yes. So. That's a great way to put it, Fernando. She absolutely, let's directly address her, Jenna. (laughs) You are not responsible for other people's feelings. And it's tempting because you want to be nice. You sound like such a nice person. Mm -hmm. But if other people offer to do something and they genuinely meant it, let's make that assumption that they genuinely wanted to help you and they were not going to resent you for doing it and you don't let them help you, then you've missed out on an opportunity to connect with them. They may be essentially offering you a gift, like doing a little favor for you because they care about you. Um, They don't want to see you inconvenienced, you know, expending more energy than you want to be right now. You're probably exhausted a lot. And so you've prevented an opportunity for connection or a kind exchange. Or if you accept it, then they go about their day feeling enriched, like, I just helped this really sweet pregnant lady. And you can go about your day being enriched, like, oh, I didn't have to carry that stupid heavy thing. (laughs) So, like, there's a great opportunity there for nice things to occur when you accept help. Mm. Let's pretend, just, you know, let's game this out. What if they offered just to be nice, but they didn't really want to do the task they were offering to do? 
if you allow them to do the task and they resent you for then having to do the thing they offered to do, that's on them. Mm. That is their mm. fault mm. for offering yes. something they didn't really mean. <laughs> Why would they do that? Like they need to unlearn that behavior. And if you accept and just play dumb and take them, like take them at face value, assume that they mean it when they offer a thing. Yes. And if they do the thing and they don't like that they did it, they need to learn better boundaries for mm. themselves. Like yes. only offer things I want to do instead of offer things I think other people want me to do, but I don't actually want to do. That's like some mental gymnastics going on in their head. <laughs> and it's not your responsibility to like right. decipher the code and figure out if they really mean it. That's so much extra work. I say just take them at face value, let them do the thing, and then let them suffer the consequences if they didn't like doing it. Because then... You're actually doing them a favor. Let's get next level here. Yes. You're doing them a favor if they realize their own resentment. Like, oh, man, I shouldn't have offered to do that uh, because I hated doing that. I hoped the lady would say no so that I wouldn't have to carry the heavy thing for her. Then they could maybe learn a lesson in that moment about being more authentic and only offering things that they genuinely meant to offer and were willing mm -hmm. to do. So... Yeah, if you try to figure it out for them and like alleve like relieve them of that sort of inner discomfort and task, like you're not doing them a favor. Right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, well said. <laughs> Thank and you. I've been in this situation a lot. It's so oh. weird. And I eventually had to just stop thinking about it and just let people do what they say they're gonna do. Yeah. I've been on both sides of it where it's like I, it's hard for me to ask. Mm. And then I'm with the person who's like, Yeah, let's do it. And I'm like, why did I do this? Ah. But, but it, <laughs> Did so, you learn? Uh eventually, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's like the people pleaser in me is like, I want to do the thing to, to, you know, I want to look good. I want to, I want people to like me. So it's like, yeah. And so that's feeding something for me. But then it's like when it comes, when I feel drained from it, I'm like, fuck, what I, why did I do that again? Oh. So, yeah. So I think eventually, you know, the, the water dripped enough on the rock where it finally made a groove. And I'm like, okay, I'm good. now, okay. it's, yeah, the self, uh, a form of self care to say no. I've definitely now said, Hey, I would love to offer help, but I have no place to do that right now. Can we touch base tomorrow or next week? And that mm. gives me space. So that way I can still offer to support someone I care about, but also from whenever I, my cup is full. If yes. I'm, if I'm doing it from an empty cup, um, I'm going to be pissed that I'm giving my last drops to someone else, yeah. but that's on me. It is like you said, Meg, it's like, it's not anyone else's responsibility except mine. And, you know, I think we have to, you know, there's a lesson for us to trust people with what they say. And I think that yeah. is a, as a Midwesterner, a fellow Midwesterner, <laughs> um, I think Midwesterners, there's a tendency for them to be really nice. And there is also the passive, maybe passive aggressiveness of not speaking to what they need. And that's, I yeah. think, and I don't know where we all got that, but we got to just, uh, that's just some, some stupid shit that we just picked up, you know, growing up and no one seemed to just be like, Hey, I, we should just change this behavior. It's right? not really working for us. So yeah. I can encourage you just asking if, if you're struggling with maybe trusting someone, just like, Hey, like, are, why do you want to help me? You know, just ask, mm. get curious, let it be a dialogue. Maybe that gives another opportunity for them to say, actually, I'm not actually willing to right now and know that's nothing to do with you. Yeah. Or you could say like, Oh, are you sure? Just like, if you need that reassurance that they definitely want to, that gives them the out to be like, well, actually I got to run or it gives them the opportunity to, do to double down and be like, yeah, I definitely want to carry yeah. that for you. Just give me the thing. Yeah. Or gives them the opportunity yeah. to like say yes again and, and resentfully. So, Ooh, and then they'll really, <laughs> but then maybe they'll learn like the 
lesson faster, hopefully. Yeah, like, yes, with their teeth gritting and like, <laughs> yeah. You know, you know. <laughs> Seriously. Oh, I think this comes from a, like the Midwestern culture of like playing, like being nice in a performative way is more important uh, than being authentic about your needs and what you're actually willing and able to do. Mm. It's just like the saving face or like playing a nice social role is more important. And I think the more that we just call people on that, the more we dismantle it. So uh, go for it, girl. That's great. I love that you <laughs> put, called it performative because that is definitely an element of communication mm-hmm. we don't always see. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Good luck, Jenna. And like, go for it being more authentic and good luck with your pregnancy too. Let people pamper you. If you need it, let people just give you an extra hand. Yeah. It's okay to ask for help. It says mm-hmm. nothing other than like, you may not have the spoons or willingness or ableness to do it. And if someone, if someone's not willing to tell you that they aren't wanting to do it, that's on them. You just smile and accept their help. And then whenever they finally learn their lesson, then they'll finally say, Hey, I, I don't, I'm not able to do that today. And you're like, yeah, oh, totally. You learned. Got it. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> Thanks Jenna for writing in though. Thank you. If you love our wisdom and insights from the podcast, imagine how valuable it would be to get private one-on-one coaching with us. We'd love to give you a personalized perspective and support around any kind of relationship struggle that you're experiencing. To get more info and apply, go to headoverfeelspod.com slash coaching. Last question today is from Darius. Darius. Mm. Um, So... Hey, head over feels. I'm feeling pretty lost about a recent breakup and could use some perspective to get me set to set me right about it. I just found out that the girl I'd been dating for six months had another boyfriend and had been dating other guys the whole time we were together. Woof. I had assumed we were monogamous. While we were together, she was sometimes secretive, but said she had trouble letting herself fall completely for someone due to past heartbreak. So I just need to be needed to be patient. Yeah. I was getting suspicious when she kept hanging out with a guy she claimed was an ex that there was no longer attraction with. But I tried to give her the benefit of the doubt. I tried to bring out my concerns gently, but it got more heated over time, and she just kept lying to my face apparently. I finally broke up with her because of lack of trust, although I couldn't quite put my finger on it. A week later, a guy I didn't know messaged me on Facebook and told me about his relationship with her. So that's how I found out. For a fact, oh. it was happening. <sighs> I hope it doesn't get wow. worse from here. Oh, uh, I confronted her about it, and it was unbelievable how much she didn't care that my heart was destroyed. She made excuses, turned it around on me, and wouldn't apologize. It was surreal. Oh. She showed zero remorse. And the thing is, I really thought we had something going, uh, good going. I was so in love with her, and we had a, a ton of good times. I'm so angry and hurt, and I just want to hurt her back somehow. But I know I can't because her heart's not involved here at all. She's fully gone. I can't stop thinking about it, and I feel so betrayed. I don't know how she could have done this knowingly for so long. So how do I move on from this? It really shook me. I want her to admit and explain what she was thinking and take responsibility for repercussions. How do I move on? Oh, wow, Darius. That is yeah, so please. shitty. Can we just val- validate you for a second? Like, yeah, dude. That's that is fucked. awful. 
And you have every right to be feeling hurt, betrayed, angry, confused, sad, heartbroken. This is so real and so visceral and no one should ever do this to another person. Yet sadly, it happens. This is a tragic tale that has happened to many millions of people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's it's totally non-compassionate. It it shows a callousness and a selfishness on the part of your girlfriend to not communicate to you where she was at, what her desires were, Mm -hmm. just like what her feelings and needs were at the time. And if they differed from yours, these are all things that should have been just baseline, you know, standard issue communication stuff in your relationship. And it was taken out of your hands. I think that's one of the things that feels the worst about being cheated on is that it was done totally outside of your control without your consent. It didn't even involve you. And yet it affected you so deeply. Mm-hmm. It's disempowering. Uh, and, and I think it's also like belittling of someone else to treat you like someone whose say doesn't even matter when it's something that is so important to you. Like your, sh- your say should be a very big factor here. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And also for the length of time and just, you know, you two, are working on you're working on this uh this perspective of the relationship like everything's going great Mm -hmm. and then to find out from not even her from someone else through facebook fuck oh my god that's like yeah i feel for you right now that this is you know i can understand that being you know there's a bit of irony in her telling you that this was she felt not willing to open her heart and then here she does this to you so like hurt people sometimes hurt people mm-hmm. and i can understand this being hopefully not something that shapes the rest of your relationships because quite frankly this is not something that you can't blame, put this on everyone else going forward you know this is definitely right. this is a I, this is a situation that is hard to deal with but also there's a lot to be to learn from it as well yeah like they say, don't bleed on people who didn't cut you. Ooh, so yeah. it sounds like that's something she did here, but that's something you can choose not to do going forward in your relationships. Yeah. You know, like it's hard to rebuild trust and to be able to look at a partner and be like, oh, I, I hope they don't do the same thing my ex did to me, but you can do it. It's, it's tough and it'll take practice and repetition and um, clarity and trust with a new person, but it can be done. Yeah. People move on from horrible cheating exes to find amazing people, the love of their life, people who treat them with the utmost respect and transparency. Mm-hmm. And that's totally a possibility for you. It's just on the other side of this hill, man. Like you got to get over this part and then you'll get to better things. Yeah. And I think at these kind of situations, self-love and self-care of the utmost importance. Because yes. as much as like, you know, you mentioned that you wanted to... In this, I don't say if the words were hurt her, but you want her to to know what your experience was. Yeah, it's not your job to live in you know resentment of this person. Mm-mm. You can't control other people's actions, reactions. We can go into like you could reach out, ask the maybe one thing you could do is ask the guy who reached out to you and say, "Hey, can I, with your permission, can I speak to my ex and you know share that you talked to me." I don't know what their dynamic is, but if he's open to that, you, you know, uh, sharing that information with her, you could reach out and say, Hey, I'd like to talk to you. I'd like to, you know, this is what was shared with me. This was really hurtful. Mm-hmm. I'd like to understand what, 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 why this happened, you know? And I'm not, yeah. and I want to understand from a place of just being able to close the door and move on because this was really hurtful. And just, and that way, maybe you can get a, you know, like a real humanizing experience with this person. But um, 
I wouldn't hold my breath either. Like some, yeah. some people in these situations aren't willing to give closure. It may be a while before that. And maybe, you know, separation distance is going to be the best. Mm-hmm. So how can we look at focusing inward? What, what brings you joy? What inspires you? Yes. Who are the people who love you, who can like lift you up, mm-hmm. spend time with those people doing those things, because that is going to help you kind of remember that this is not a reflection of who you are as a person. Yeah. This is a reflection of who that person is and what they're dealing with. Absolutely. So when we can, when we remind ourselves, Oh, you know what? I am a, I am a wonderful human being. And this was an unfortunate thing that happened like for both from both sides, you know, like mm-hmm. I, and in a sense, as much as she did the thing that was not desirable, I feel for her because she's hurting in some way. Mm-hmm. That was and reacted from that of, and hurt you and possibly yeah. other people because we don't you know this could be multiple guys that are experiencing this as well. We don't know. Yeah, but it's more important that we look at how do we focus on you because that's the thing you have the most, the, the only real control and can actually do something with. You can't do anything about her life. She's doing her thing. Right. And she has and, healing to do. Yes. She's clearly not compassionate callous towards people who love her that's an illness like she is sick and she has an inability to see the value and beauty in an honest awesome partner that you've been to her and therefore her life is suffering because of the lack of that she can't experience the beauty of such a great relationship that she could have had Hmm. so she's on her own path and you can't alter or affect it or you know push healing for her or anything Um, I wanted to point out that you can't hold someone's feet to the fire who doesn't want to take responsibility. And I think we try, I know I've tried so many times in life when somebody has insulted me or hurt me or betrayed me in some way, I wanted to like shake them by the shoulders and be like, admit it. I need to hear you say it, that what you did was wrong and that you know it was wrong and that you feel sad and that you feel sorry. And I need a real apology and authentic, genuine remorse from you. And if they don't feel remorse, if they don't give a fuck what they did to you, if they're just a shit person wrapped up in their own crazy story and selfishness, you can't make them feel that way, that you can't force remorse. You can't, you know, show them a mirror and be like, look how bad you are. And they'll just Mm. magically realize like, oh, I was terrible. Like that is so rare. It takes so much humility and maturity to actually, you know, put your ego down and put your pride down and say like, yeah, you're right. I was horrible and I feel terrible. Like how often have you had that kind of apology from people, right? It's kind of rare. Um, So I wouldn't hold your breath for it here. You can try, like have one conversation and be like, this is your opportunity to show any remorse or explanation for this. But you know what? She probably won't, Darius. So just expect that. You may not get closure here. You may have to make your own closure. Like Fernando, Fernando said, with awesome friends who lift you up, other things that nourish and enrich your life. And remember how great of a person you are and were. Like you're a catch, right? You weren't the one who cheated. You were good to her, as far as we can tell in your letter. Like, <laughs> so, so like you can now go offer that to someone who is worthy of it. Mm. And it's just a matter of time before you find them. Yeah. I think in these situations, space is really good for yourself. Mm-hmm. So as much as you want that closure, if you can, you know, vent it out and just like talk it out, journal, whatever way that helps you process, yes. you know, um, suffering, pain, work on that first. 
and then circle back, you know, it might be six months, it might be a year, it might be several years if, or you might reach, find that point. You're like, you know what? I've moved on. Yeah. And it's, it's just like, that's a blip on your radar of life. Mm-hmm. Someday you'll look back and be like, wow, that was shitty. Glad I'm not in that situation yeah. anymore. And you won't feel sad anymore. Like that day will eventually come. And there are mm-hmm. things that you can do to take care of yourself now to make that day happen sooner. Give yourself better. Like now there's space in your life that you can fill in with better things mm-hmm. and better people. Hopefully, Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Well, we wish you the best Darius. Like this is not an easy yeah. thing to deal with, but like, just, you know, remember that you can love yourself through all this and to take out, if you're feeling any blame for yourself, like you should have seen it sooner or um, there's just signs like, we don't know we it's impossible for us to see all the signs and sometimes we can misconstrue the signs so right. the situation played out as it did we are at where we're at and it's time to move on and you know just focus on the things that bring that bring life back to you because mm-hmm. that's going to be more lasting than uh harboring these like feelings of what did i do wrong could it be different and like that dialogue does it has a really small, it's a very short end. It's a dead right. end at some point, but loving yourself is going to be a lifelong journey and we might as well get good at that shit because um, we've already been dealing with struggling with that since childhood. So. Oh, so true. Yeah. You are not a fool. This could have happened to anyone. Mm-hmm. This happens to all kinds of people. So please be kind to yourself yes. in this process. Yeah. Okay. Let's circle back to nonviolent communication for our toolbox segment. Yeah. So here's where we're going to talk more about the book and more of like the step-by-step actions in how to actually do nonviolent communication. Mm -hmm. So the book is called Nonviolent Communication. It's by Marshall Rosenberg. Personally, I loved the audiobook. I've listened to it like three times. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's like an annual thing for me at this point. It is so (laughs) valuable. And I love his voice. Have you heard him speak, Fernando? Uh, I don't think I have. I have the, the paperback version. So. <laughs> gotcha. Okay, okay. So you're not a, an audiobook junkie like I am. Well, I, <laughs> I'll, uh, I've listened, like, I know some people have really just drab voices when it comes to audiobooks. Ah, yes. But I haven't listened to this person, uh, to Marshall, so um, cool. I'm down to listen to, to it. Yeah, yeah. He has such a comforting voice. It's very calm, very soft, and yet very articulate and engaging. He tells these amazing stories in the book of all these examples where he has used it in his personal life or in his trainings where he teaches other people how to do this. Um, He goes into examples where other people used it, like in like very tense international negotiations Mm. or hostage situations or a racist taxi driver. Like this can happen all over the place. Whenever you have conflict with someone, whenever there's a feeling that's coming up because of an action of another or a need that's not getting met. Um, Unfortunately, Marshall Rosenberg passed away, I believe in 2015, but there's a wealth of videos of him acting this stuff out with people and giving short talks on YouTube if you guys want to check it out, but definitely start with the book. It's a fabulous primer. And every time I read it, God, I learn so much more that like, how did I miss this the first time? Right. Or like, whoa, I really relate to this part suddenly because of something that happened in my life. Like, mm-hmm. whoo. 
It is a powerful mirror every time. Yeah, yeah. I think it's like maybe both having both versions. The paperbacks you can go over the exercises a little bit easier. Um, and I th- believe there's even a companion book that so you can work with exercises too. Oh, true. Yeah, um, there is. I don't know if there's an audio book version of that or not, but mm. <laughs> better to have it in paperback for that yeah. situation for sure. When it comes to NVC, there's uh, essentially there's like a we'll give you the rough the formula yeah. in a sense when it comes to how to navigate a, a like a conflict. A, a dialogue of some sort. The yeah. first is going to be observing the need in yourself. Mm-hmm. And that looks like is only facts, no judgments, no evaluations. Mm-hmm. So if, I don't know, if someone um, struck you, someone hit you, you're like, mm-hmm. oh, someone, you're like, you can say, oh, someone physically abused me when I was younger. It's like, that's a judgment. That's a statement. I was hit by this person at this time. Mm-hmm. So like you see the difference, like the difference is like, we're getting rid of any of the emotional stuff of like what's actually happened, mm-hmm. separating the emotion. And sometimes to really get that need in yourself to figure out like, what do I really need? Get in a quiet room, mm. get, get in a place where you can like be still. Um, if you're not sure if, if talking out loud to yourself is not an option or you'll feel comfortable with that. Although I highly recommend trying that if you haven't, mm-hmm. um, journaling is a great way to like, all right, what am I feeling right now? And I think even in, I, yeah, in the book, they definitely talk about like, here's a list of feelings. Because yeah. sometimes we don't, we misattribute what feelings are. Yes. And thinking and feeling, we, it's like a mishmash mm-hmm. in our reality, but the reality, but, and so that's a great way for us to, oh, I'm feeling this way. So if you're like, I feel like I've seen that like um, refrigerator magnets where you're like, I'm feeling this today. Yeah, the different faces. Yes. Yeah, the, one of my favorites is like, which Nick Cage expression are you today? Oh my God. Feelings are. <laughs> that's great yeah i would recommend and we'll touch on this stuff in future episodes but one tool is um, a feelings wheel and you can just google that and there will be a few versions of it that come out but it has a variety of words that are all feelings and arranged in a sort of thematic clusters and that's really helpful if you can't quite put words to what you're feeling in the moment because a lot of times we'll say a judgment about someone else like i feel that you don't care about my needs but that's not a feeling that's a uh, thought that's a judgment yes. about them a feeling is like i feel sad i feel angry i feel unheard or whatever and even sentences like i feel neglected according to this book nvc Saying that you feel neglected implies there is someone who is neglecting you. So technically, that's not a feeling word. And those are the harder ones. And we'll dive into this another time. But those are a lot harder to eliminate from our vocabulary or just rephrase in a Mm. less accusatory way. Right. Yeah. And, you know, I think we're all trying our best here. So mm-hmm. don't beat yourself if you're not getting it perfect. Just For like, sure. Because like, I think we're, you may fumble through this. And sometimes I've definitely gone through saying things, a feeling. And if I'm with someone who's like really good at NBC, they're like, that's a statement. You know, they might just bring it up and it's like, oh, shit, yeah. okay, this is what I'm feeling, you know. But uh-huh. ultimately, it's we could get caught up on the syntax all day. It's right. more about like, let's get to the message here. And so... The next stage was going to be um, stating the feeling that the observation is triggering in you. Or if it's someone else, like you could guess what the other person is feeling and ask. Mm-hmm. So an example, like if let's say if you're someone dealing with someone else, like I see that you are, I see that X is happening. Are you feeling Y? 
I mm. see that you're、uh, pacing around the room. Are you feeling nervous? I like that. So then, and I gave you that example without the emotion. So you could be like, okay, there's your, that's your write it on an index card example. Because then you're not, you're not saying, hey, I, you're making me nervous by running around. You know, you're like,、mm. so, because they're not, you're nervous on your own accord. They can't、mm-hmm. make you feel nervous.、Yeah. Remember that. And you can say, oh, I'm noticing this thing. And I'm a- they're asking to, to find out because you actually don't know until they tell you. Right. Be、yeah. curious. Yes. The,、uh, the next is the stating the need that is the cause of that feeling. Or guessing the need that、uh, caused the feeling in the other person and ask. I love how asking、mm-hmm. is you see,、um, the big thing that was huge for me for, with NVC is just getting rid of the assumption. Yes. And that's an ongoing practice. But we, I think in a lot of our language, we, are, we speak like we know what other person is thinking or、mm-hmm. what they're feeling. And, we're, and again, we're working from a projection. We think.、Yep. From our own side. So we're only, we're basically looking at someone else, processing through our heads what we think is happening back onto them.、Mm-hmm. Doesn't work that way. It's like we need to ask them to understand because until they tell us, we don't know. Yeah. So we, we are so quick to make a story in our head to like assume an explanation for why they did what they did. And then we jump to a character judgment like, Well, they must have knowingly hurt me by that action. Like they knew they were doing something wrong. Therefore, they don't care about me. Therefore, they're a bad person. And so we jump way light years ahead into these conclusions <laughs> that we didn't even start with a dialogue to see why they did the action in the first place. It's really hard to withhold those stories and not jump immediately to like assumptions, especially if you've been hurt in the past. There's a lot of like attachment. Theory trauma、mm. that, like, if you have anxious or avoidant attachment styles, see our previous episode on that. <laughs> <laughs> And it can really bring out those things. Like, if somebody seems to be ignoring me and I'm in a relationship in which I'm the kind of anxious party, the anxious attachment style person. I may make assumptions like, oh, they're ignoring me because they're not into me anymore. They must not love me anymore. Like, therefore, they're, they're not even willing to try in this relationship. And so, by, I've told myself this story. And by the time I come to my partner, I'm going to say something like, you don't even want to try in this relationship. You ignore me. And、um, that means you don't care. And I, I'm not going to stand for it. Like, those are all judgments and conclusions I've made without even asking him、yeah. why he was ignoring me in that moment.、Yeah. It could have been something totally unrelated to us. Yeah. And then we might come back, like, whoa,、uh, what's going on? Like, I don't, like,、right? where's this coming from? And so, <laughs> if that does not, like, I would imagine that probably feels for,、uh, familiar for a lot of us, that kind、totally. of thing.、Like, what is going on? Yeah.、So. Just getting things hurled at you that you weren't even a part of. Like, you weren't、yeah. party to the whole process that happened in the other person's head. That's, that's what this communication style tries to get out in the open、mm-hmm. and gets people, both of you, participating just from a me place, not a you did this, therefore you're XYZ type person, et cetera. Yeah. And it's a lot of listening, active listening. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so we get to also get to see what,、uh, how we may project in a lot of ways. And if you're ever unsure, you could ask the person, like, can you, can you repeat back to me what I said to you? Just、yeah. to make sure. And then, because that exercise, oh, you're like, okay, well, I heard you say this. And you're like, hmm, that's, then you can kind of like clean that up and make sure that the person's actually getting you.、Mm, yes.、Um, to give that example about that last step was, 
you know, stating the need that's causing the feeling or guessing at the need that caused the feeling in the other person asking. So an mm-hmm. example is like, I see you looking away while I'm talking and you've been speaking so quietly, I can't hear you. That is an observation. Mm-hmm. Then you can request, please speak up so I can understand. Right. There's nothing loaded or attached to it. You're just like, this is what I'm noticing. You know, and you're stating facts. I can't hear you. I'm noticing mm-hmm. you're speaking quietly. And there's, you're not saying anything about the person. You're not talking shit to them. You're just like, hey, I, I can't understand what you're saying. I want to be able to understand you. Can you speak up so that way, you know, I can hear you? Yeah. So here's another example. If somebody, let's say if my partner is, I catch him flirting with somebody else. And if flirting was not an agreed upon thing that is allowed in our relationship, then let's say I'm feeling jealous and upset and hurt. And if I go up to him and just start hurling accusations like how dare you and um you're doing that to make me feel jealous or you Mm. made me feel jealous because of your actions and therefore you're an asshole and a shitty boyfriend and whatever it may be that he wasn't deliberately flirting maybe i misinterpreted something maybe he wasn't clear on exactly the bounds of what is and isn't flirting what is and isn't agreed upon in our relationship but i won't know that unless i ask so if i state my feeling here's how i'm feeling here's the action that i experienced that has instigated this feeling within me. You can even tell them, here's the story I'm telling in my head about you. I don't want it to be true, but I just want you to know where my brain is going and I don't want it to go there. So let me get curious and ask you, you know, aside from my, um, I state my observation, I state my feelings, I state my need. I have a need for Mm -hmm. a partner who keeps agreements, um, a partner who, um, or, or like I need, I have a need for feeling emotionally safe. I have a need for transparency instead of like someone sneaking behind my back. So those are all needs. And then the last component, like Fernando just said, is a request for an action. Mm-hmm. So yeah. I could then request, please explain what's going on. Please in the future, don't flirt like that or in that way or whatever. Please clarify your understanding of our agreement. So those are all actions that I am then requesting my partner to do. Mm-hmm. And he's a part of this conversation too. He can state his observations, needs, feelings, and requests back to me based on his perspective of what happened. So leaving space for both people to be able to do that without judgment, without coming to any grand conclusions or insisting another person must do X, Y, and Z, mm-hmm. it becomes this equal party negotiation where both feelings are cared for. Yes. Right. Not because just if, if for I it, hurt but... my partner inadvertently and I saw them hurting, I'd be like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Like, let's examine this. Let's figure this out. What can I do to make sure I don't do that? And so this mm-hmm. opens a space for your partner to respond compassionately like that back to you. Yeah. It's like not just cared for, but also like both parties are heard, acknowledged. Yes. And because sometimes we run into the situation where one person, it's like they're so upset and it's like there's only space for them to be upset. And the other right. person's like, okay, well, I guess we'll have to tend to your needs. But then I don't even get to hear, you don't even get to hear my experience. Yeah. So I'm just kind of like, okay, well, I have to like pamper you because now you're upset. Uh. That is not, that's, that's, we're not working on the level of playing field. Yes. It's okay. It's valid for the other person to be upset as it is you. And I think for, but if we're going to sit here and say like your upsetness needs to be, is more important than mine so that mine can't get hurt and, but yours has to, that's not going to work. This is a, right. a lot of big thing that the NVC is, this is bringing both people to the table. Cause yeah, there's probably things both parties are going maybe have be upset about, but how can we communicate that effectively? So that way both people are heard. Yeah, and obviously one person will have to go first, but it isn't whose is more important. It's more like, Hey, let's, 
work through this and then we can let it be an equal transaction all over the place. Yes. Yeah. Because both people's experiences and feelings are valid. They're mm-hmm. totally subjective. They may be very different, but they're totally real and valid. And each person's stuff, whatever's coming up, mm-hmm. needs to be addressed and deserves to be heard in that type of conversation. So this is such a valuable lens through which you can see all kinds of conflict and negotiations, even when they're informal. Yeah. And I encourage you guys to stick with it, like give it a try. It's not complicated stuff. I know if this is kind of new for you, it might seem like a lot, but check out the book. It's presented in a nice organized fashion and it's never overwhelming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and like Fernando said earlier in the episode, if it feels forced or unnatural or stilted, that is okay. That is part of the learning process and integrating the style, this, this lens into your life because just like make yourself go through the motions of it, even if it doesn't flow like a conversation that you're used to having flow when you're upset, uh, because it's worth it. That's how you mm-hmm. integrate it. That's how you put your own put it into your own words, as they say. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I have one more. Um, this is more of a short, a uh, little shortened version. Mm. You know, if you're triggered or if you find something that's emotionally triggering for you, mm-hmm. and so it's like you observe yourself using this phrase. I feel blank because yeah. I need uh, because I need blank. So that's honest self empathy. Nice. So I feel hurt because I need affection. Mm. I don't know. Just throwing shit out there. Yeah, it uh, could be affection, attention, yeah. to be heard, to be valued. There's all kinds of needs out there. We should uh, share some lists in the future episode. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What our needs? Yeah. And then, so that's honest self empathy. Once you understand your need that is not being met, then consider the other person. You feel blank because you need blank. This is empathy for the other person. Then the next step is a choice to speak empathy for each other or honesty about self. So then you're adding the request. Would you be willing to blank? An example is like, would you be willing to tell me what you heard was important to me? Mm. So that's like, you know, pretty like another way to look at it or condensed version. So it's like, Honesty for yourself, honesty and self-empathy for yourself, and then empathy and, and uh, for the other person, mm-hmm. and then it's speaking, you know, speaking for the empathy for the other person, honesty yourself. We have the request, so we can move because we could talk about what we need, but then we need to have action. We need a request, so the mm-hmm. action is the last step to move forward. And I think that sometimes we can get caught up in the things that we're struggling with, but or like, well, this I'm feeling this, I'm feeling this. And well, who did what? Yeah, it's mm-hmm. like that's you know, just <laughs> brush it off aside because mm-hmm. we could, we could sit here and and talk about these things all day, but until we set an action and a plan in place, we're not getting fucking anywhere. So yeah, mm-hmm. here's bringing the information together, and then the request is the action. Yep. How do we move forward? Mm-hmm. And then if they're not willing to move forward, then okay, we do, we address that accordingly. Or if we yeah, are, sometimes great. they just need, yeah. yeah, sometimes they just need more validation before moving forward, like comforting or 
empathy or apologies or something like that before action plans are made. I've had a few exes who tried to move too quickly into like, well, what do you want to do about it now? Or like, what do you need in the future from now on? And I'm like, I don't feel seen in the now yet. Like, (laughs) I don't feel like we really addressed all our feelings here. And you just want to move past that real quick so you can stop me from being mad at you anymore. Mm, You know? So like, take your time in the stages here and really make sure both people get all their shit out and feel like held in that space yeah yeah you can ask is there anything else that you need from this moment you're like you know i do have something else i want to say there may and so this may not be a one-part conversation you may extend it there may be like you know i've addressed this thing but there's this whole other element and that's going to be a part of the process and i love how you pointed out like yeah sometimes conflict is uncomfortable and sometimes people may want to like you know let's let's kind of move this along you know Mm -hmm. but we want to steer away from like brushing off other people's like anger and frustration as something to be ignored or like, Oh, it's a thing. It's like, it's an inconvenience. No. Yeah. It's like, uh, it's an, uh, the shit you did is an inconvenience first off motherfucker. Right. So. <laughs> but, um, let's look at this person I care about. It's upset. Like something broke, something is no longer working. A need wasn't being met. And that's mm-hmm. usually when, it, when we're angry or upset, Usually there's like a, maybe a, uh, a need wasn't met, so a boundary was broken. It's totally. usually, it usually comes down to that. Yep. And so when we understand what that is, how do we rectify it? How do we move forward? And what are ways to, to, to navigate that going forward? That's like the best way to resolve conflict. Now yes. we have something to actually do because saying sorry up and down doesn't do jack shit. No. Uh, but like having a plan, having actions, and then some way to kind of keep you accountable that shows emotional maturity that shows a willingness to like have conflict resolution. It shows a willingness to like improve and learn and grow. Like we all make mistakes, but if you're willing to like go through those steps to resolve conflicts, I think people, and I know myself will want to spend more time with you or willing to like be patient with you because, Hey, I know that person is willing when they fuck up to like, to do something about it. Yeah, that person is a value. That's a that's a person I want for around for me for as long as possible, humanly possible, because those are the people that get it. But then the people who are Mm -hmm. like who just want to brush it off and don't want to do the work, it's like no, like I don't have time for people who aren't willing to invest in themselves or in a relationship because they they think they got it. Yeah, yeah, that's so real. Oh my god, well put, Fernando. Thanks, Maggie. Yeah. (laughs) Well. Thank you guys for listening, and we're really excited to talk about NVC a lot more in the future, but we're going to refer back to this episode as a primer so that you can know what the hell we're talking about when we bring it up. And each of these steps can be broken down into many examples and forms and different sub-steps and different like ways to look at it. So we'll totally address that stuff to get way more into the meat of it in the future. But this is a good like bird's-eye view, a nice like step-by-step mm-hmm. overview so you kind of get where we're going next time. Yeah, listen to the audio book, buy the book, yeah. get both copies. Find and, them on our website. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and if you have a partner, like... By, like share it with each other. This is such yes. a, invaluable. There's so many good exercises and doing it together will really like your, your communication game will step up so fucking much. So, so much. Oh my God. Yeah.
We love recommending books to you on this podcast, and we want to make it super easy for you to use these incredibly helpful resources in your own love life. That's why we've teamed up with Audible, which has thousands of titles of all genres, which you can listen to while driving, cleaning, cooking, or any other activity. We don't judge. If you sign up through our link, you can get one free audiobook and one free month trial membership. Just go to audibletrial.com slash headoverfeels. That's it for today's episode. Thanks for tuning in. To submit your question, go to our website, headoverfeelspod.com. Also, follow us on Facebook and Instagram at headoverfeelspod. Please subscribe, give us a five-star rating, and review in your podcast app of choice. See you next week.